Good morning, Grace Point. Welcome to the service today. I pray that God moves on you mightily, whether you're here in person or joining us online this morning. I just pray that you have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Now, every week I have this rhythm I go through when I do a message, and part of the conclusion of it all is I have to send some information to um, our social media folks uh, summarizing what the message is. And so I thought today, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to begin by reading that to you. So you know where in the world we're going today. Amen? So this will help you kind of follow along with it. But this is, if you were to go online, go to our website and read about today's uh, message, this is the summary that would be at the beginning uh, of that experience. In this message from our series, Winning the War in Your Mind, we're going to look at what it means to reframe past experiences using the Word of God. Experience evaluated biblically is part of renewing your mind and equipping yourself for present and future situations. So that, in a nutshell, is what I'm going to talk with you on, on this morning. I want to begin uh, with a story. Years ago, Vicki and I and, and a, a couple of our little ones at the time lived in Pella, Iowa. And there was this house that came up for sale that was like a house out of a storybook. It was one of those brick houses with the kind of the curved front. It was just gorgeous. And, and, and at that point, we were getting well enough off and, and getting financially uh, solvent enough where we decided we would move into that house. Well, the house was about 100 years old. And so it was beautiful on the outside, but all of its uh, faculties on the inside were pretty old and dated. And one of the things that it really had was dated wiring. It had what was called knob and tube wiring. Anybody know what that is? There's a picture of it up here that'll pop up. It's where you have these ceramic knobs with wire running through them, and that's how the, the wiring was in the house. Only in my particular case, the, the wire didn't have insulation on it. It was bare wire. That's how old it was. It was just ran all over the house like that. Well, when I moved in there, I knew that was a problem. Amen? But I'm young. I'm busy with my career at 3 a.m. We have a couple little girls running around. I don't have time. I'm too busy to take care of this problem. So I kept thinking, I'll get to it someday. Ever been there? Most of you men, you have been there. You should say, yeah. I tell my wife, I'll get to it someday. Those are my famous words when Vicki asked me to do something. I'll get to it someday. And then she puts me on the calendar and said, that someday is now here. At any rate, um, so I knew it was a problem. So one, t- one time, I'm in my basement. I'm going to replumb this house. The plumbing is also old. It was galvanized piping. It was screwed together, old piping. All right? Some of you are going, oh, yeah, they used to do that. So I'm, I, I was going to saw this piping in half and put a section of new piping in it and add, add, a, add, a, add a new line that I was running. So I'm down in the basement, and I'm not really paying attention. You know why? Because I'm a man. Right? We do one thing, and we do it really well, but we do that one thing really well. So I'm not really paying attention to my environment as closely as I ought to. And I just want you to have a little background. I'm on a metal chair because that's what was convenient. So I get on this metal chair. I get up and I reach across to grab that pipe, right, to hold it while I saw. And I put my forearm right against one of those bare wires. I wasn't paying attention. I was looking right through it. It was right there in front of my nose. But I was focused on that galvanized pipe that I was going to saw. So I reach up. I grab that galvanized pipe. I'm really grounded well there. I'm grounded well. I was really well grounded. I tell you that. I thought my arm blew in half. I fell off the chair, went down. I looked down to see if it was still there. I'd never, ever had a shock like that from 110. You just don't get shocked like that. We always call it a bite at 3 a.m. You just get bit. This was like a shark bite. Oh, my goodness. I'm laying there on the ground. All of a sudden, folks, I had motivation. 
that was now top priority in my life to address that wiring problem. And so I began to just ruthlessly tear out all the wiring. And pretty soon, I'm not kidding you, I had a pile about four foot diameter by about three foot high of piled up bare wire in the basement. And I remember calling Vicki down and said, I am now committed to rewiring this house. Now, until that moment of trauma and shock, I knew the wiring was dangerous and dated. And listen, I want to talk to you on a spiritual level now. Frequently in our life, we know we got some issues going on. We may not be thinking right. We may be even into some sinful habits. We may be justifying some things that that haven't been right for a long time. And we think, someday I'll get to it. Someday I'll address this. Everybody's doing it. Nobody cares if I do it. And we kind of make a truce with this dysfunction. And I knew I should do something about that wiring. And I bet some of you are sitting here today with some things going on in your life. You're thinking, I probably should get to that. Well, today's the day. I pray that you're shocked a little bit. I pray that there's some trauma in your life that will get you over the hump and that will give you the desire and the drive uh, to take care of those issues. I thought I was too busy. That's the American excuse for not doing things. We're busy, right? We think somehow busy is this ultimate life goal. How are you doing? I'm really busy. You ever talk to somebody? How are you? I'm so busy. Is that good? Is that what we strive to be It's busy people? And I thought at the time, well, I'm really busy. I've got all this work going on at 3M. I got two little girls. I got this marriage. I was involved with the church. I'm just too busy to take care of this wiring problem until it was a real problem and it bit me. I'm going to tell you something. We're in a series where you're getting an opportunity here, friends, to deal with some stuff in your life. You're not too busy. That's a lie, I think, almost from the pit of hell. That he deceives us is thinking we're too busy to deal with things. If you're, if you're, if you're in, in, in this sanctuary today and you've got some stuff going on in here that ought not to be going on here, today's the day to deal with it. Amen? You're not too busy. I thought the problem could be ignored. Anybody ever been there? Now, again, this is super male. I don't know about you. I just pray the problem goes away. Anybody ever do that? Come on. Men, you all should be raising your hand. I, that's my standard response when I first run into something. This will just go away if I just ignore it. Anybody been there? And sometimes we have these glaring things going on in our own spiritual lives. And we're content with ignoring them. Sometimes we're ignoring actually sinful ways. And we're ignoring unbelief. And we can't be ignoring those kind of things. I love the last three weeks with Pastor Aaron and talking about ruts. We get into ruts because we ignore things. And we let them repeat and repeat and repeat. And pretty soon they normalize in our life. And we think this is how we do life. And it's dysfunctional. And when we stand back and we begin to think about what we're thinking about, we're thinking, "Eh, this is not very healthy. Maybe if I just ignore it, it'll go away. No, because you've ignored it all your life. That's why it's there, right? And God gives us opportunities. Sometimes he tries to wake us up to these things so that we'll address them. Now the trauma or the shock gave me a, a sense of urgency and it created in me this desire and drive uh, to solve the problem. And that's frequently what it takes for us spiritually to start really resolving some things in our life that probably aren't good. Um, so there, we get to these critical turning points. Now we're going to start taking notes if you're a note taker. Um, you must decide it's not okay to stay not okay. You've got to get to that point in your life in a couple levels. Several churches I visited over the years, especially about a decade ago, this was seeming to be a really popular saying, they would have right in the foyer in big letters someplace, 
It's okay to not be okay. Anybody ever see that in the church for you? Some of you are shaking your head yes. I know that you're not going to respond to me in these services, so I just expect you not to respond. But I'm just kind of curious. Have you ever seen that? If you have, would you raise your hand? You've seen that? So, so, so do you have. So I noticed that that just became a trend. It, 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 and I understand they're trying to be welcoming. They're trying to say, if you're broken, if you're, if you're experiencing some sin in your life or whatever, you're welcomed here. We want you here. This is where you belong. But you know what? You have to go on and complete that thought process. Sure, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to say not okay. Amen. At some point, God wants to do a redemptive work in our lives. And there's this invitation, and it's really twofold. Jesus offers us salvation and transformation. He offers us salvation and transformation. Of course, if you look at Scripture like Acts 2 or Romans 3 or Romans 10, you see a very clear invitation to salvation. And it all starts there. We can't begin to do anything that, that Aaron and I have been talking about for the last six weeks now, none of that can happen in your life until you're born again, right? You have to admit at some point, I am a sinner and I am hopelessly lost for my Savior and I just receive him by faith, you know, and you become born again and you begin this wonderful journey. But friends, that is what? The beginning point of a life of renewal, of a life of restoration. That's what we're majoring on. In this series, we're measuring on the transformative side of the Christian experience. Okay, are you understanding me? Sometimes we get lost in the forest. We don't see the trees because we're just lost. Listen, this series is about the transformative side of Christianity, of what it means to truly live a holy and pleasing life before our God and Savior. And salvation is the beginning point. It's crazy important, amen? But now we're talking transformation, and we've been using some scripture. Aaron's used the scripture over and over for the last several weeks. I'm going to read it once again. It's Romans 12. It's like the key scripture for this series, okay? I'm going to read Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 today, okay? Here we go. This is, this is the transformation you and I are supposed to experience once we've been born again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So Paul's writing to whom? Christians. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay? He's saying to you, as a Christ follower, you should be experiencing what? Transformation. A renewing of your mind. In fact, he goes on and says that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So this is like our, our theme verses for this whole series that we're in, that we can experience the transformative power of God and actually have a renewed mind. You're not too busy. You can't just ignore it. It's something that God wants to do in every follower of Christ. So we're majoring on this theme in our Winning the War in Your Mind series. Now... We're to become this holy, living, pleasing sacrifice to God. And I'm going to say this again. You can't experience any of that without being born again. Of course, it starts there. But it's not okay to stay not okay either. At some point, God is saying, it's time to have your mind renewed. It's time to experience the transformative power of Christ. And so to win the war in your mind, you have to get to this kind of decision point there too, is that, I, I, I'm not going to stay not okay. 
God, I want to become the new creation that you intend me to become. I want to become a holy, living, pleasing sacrifice uh, to you. And this, my friends, is where trauma can be our friend. Have you ever thought of trauma that way? I look back at that worry thing and saying, probably the best thing that could happen to me that day was to get shocked. Because you know what it did? It kicked me into action. It got me to do something. It made me get off square zero and begin to do something to resolve the problem. And sometimes in our spiritual life, what we need, friends, is some trauma to, to reveal to us that it's not okay to be not okay. It pushes us into a desire and a drive to begin to address some of those issues in our life and to go after them like I think the Lord intends us to. You know, another thing that could get you going, you could just be tired of being tired. Some people, especially in our country, oh, you think it's about performance. You think even Christianity is about performance. And you try really hard to be holy and pleasing. Good luck with that. It's not about trying. It's about abiding. It's about believing in Christ and, and residing in him. We're not talking a motivational series here. We're talking a transformative series here. Amen? Amen. You've got to want to be changed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got to call on his name for that to take place. It could be that you're just really tired of having some history in you still rear its ugly head and dominate your thinking process. Time to put that to death, amen? In Christ, it's time to put that to death. You you just got to get kind of to the point where desire and drive takes over. So we have an opportunity happening here in this series. The Lord allows you opportunities for awareness that are essential to experiencing transformation of renewed mind. He allows us what I call these opportunities of awareness. And this is one of those. We're sitting in this series for like 12 weeks talking about this kind of issue of transformation. This is an awareness opportunity that God wants to use. We just had a lot of awareness opportunities over the last few years. You know, whether you call it a pandemic or not, it was a major disruption, right? And that was an awareness opportunity for God's people to maybe begin to address some things in their belief system and and what they value. And then you think that gets over? It never ends. We just go from what? One disaster to another. And I think God is providing us with what? Opportunities. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, I want to go back to the way it was before. I don't. I don't want to go back to the way it was before. I don't want to go back to the old normal. Was that old normal even good? I think God wants to create a new normal in us. Amen? He wants to have people dependent on him and calling on him. And he wants his, his followers, his Christ followers, to be people who are experiencing recreation, transformation, and a renewing of their mind, who are not caught up in the things of this world and doing the rat race as everybody else, but they're living radically committed to Jesus Christ. That's the norm that God wants. Are you with me on that? Yeah, I'll take it from you. I think God wants his people to think and live entirely differently. So this week in our series, Winning the War in Your Mind, we're to what Groeschel calls the reframe principle. And we're going to look at this tool for renewing the mind from basically a past vantage point today. In the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll expand the view of it. But for today, we're going to look at it from a past vantage point, okay? You're getting my frame of reference here, just so you know where I'm going. Let me give you the reframe principle. It's simply this. You're supposed to reframe your mind. And here's what it means in, in relation to your past. My past, and when I use that word past here in this definition, that means my unfiltered past does not have to define how I think, nor does it have to determine how I approach the future. 
So in other words, you're not necessarily a product of your past. You are if you're not filtering it. You are if you're not evaluating it, but you don't have to be. I must become a person who refrains from my past using the Bible as my guide, okay? So for many, life just happens. You just live and you just have experiences. That's life. And that is for a lot of Christians, that's their experience also. The experiences that you're having aren't filtered through this, what I call, biblical uh, shift. They're not, they're not going through this, this filter of the Bible. And to win the war in your mind, you have to become a person who reframes your past with a biblical perspective. Then that perspective becomes wisdom. Okay? So if I was going to give you a, a simple definition of wisdom, in, in my own words, it would be past experiences viewed and understood through the filter of biblical perspective. When you're, when you're, when you're evaluating that experience biblically, then it becomes wise and it becomes something that becomes an anchor point where you can do analysis on how you should make present decisions and it becomes a, a, a viewpoint, a perspective of how you look into the future. Now, I'm going to just say this. I know, I know wisdom is biblical knowledge put into uh, right application. I know that standard definition. So I'm only giving you that because I'll get out in the hallway and somebody will tell me, you know, wisdom is biblical knowledge rightly applied. Yes, I know that. Okay. But for me, when I look at my past and I begin to do evaluate, uh, to, to, to evaluate that biblically, that creates in me what I call wisdom. I look at my present differently. And I look at my future entirely differently. We see Jesus do this. One of my favorite stories it is this road to Emmaus encounter that Jesus has with, with two, two men. And, and I just love this encounter. I'm going to read it to you in its entirely, entirety. It's from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. So it's kind of a long read here, but it's good. Now, I want, to, I want you to listen to this with this kind of angle. Look at how these guys are lost when they don't put their experiences through a biblical filter. Look at, look at where they're at, and then look at how Jesus just takes them through that process and looks how, look how it changes them, okay? Here, here we go. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us um, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Now, I want you to hear the Lord's response, okay? He said to them, how foolish you are. How many of you would have ended the conversation right there? I find that fascinating. How foolish you are. And I'll so to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them 
what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This was a lot. Do you know they're on a seven-mile walk here, friends? I've done quite a few of these with my wife. They're called hikes in the mountains. It takes three to four hours. So Jesus is talking to these two guys for three to four hours, most likely here, and he's examining all of Scripture with them. Are you seeing what he's doing? He's giving them what? A biblical frame of reference. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is near the evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus had, was recognized by them when he broke their bread. Now, what happened here? Jesus reframed their experience through the context of a biblical filter and understanding, right? Simply spoke. That's what he did. What, what, was their, what, was their, what was their demeanor before this took place? They were confused. They didn't understand his death. They didn't understand the empty tomb. They didn't know or really believe the women's testimony about the angels and the resurrected Christ. They were confused. They were befuddled and they were despondent and they were sad and they were discouraged. That, that, that's what happens, friends, to you when you don't evaluate your experiences biblically. You get confused. You get despondent. Life becomes this mystery to you. But then what does Jesus do? He takes them to the filter of Scripture. He begins to reframe their experience in the light of Scripture. And he begins to explain, no, this is what it had to be like. You are foolish for not understanding this. And he, he illuminates them. And then what was their response? They said to one another, we're not our hearts burning within us. They went from confusion and despondency and discouragement to what? They are on fire for Jesus. It is true. It's risen, just like he said. Simon's seen them. They're, they're jacked up. You see the difference there in, in their response and how they're living? And I think for us, part of the problem is we don't reframe our lives. We don't look at them through the biblical reference of what God is doing. We just get carried along by events and we can become despondent and confused and discouraged. And what, I, what, what we're, we're supposed to do is take our lives and put them into the perspective of what, what God is up to. Have you reframed your past ever seeking to understand what, what God has been doing in your life? How he wants the experiences that you've experienced to become tools of wisdom as you reframe them using the Bible as a filter? See, your unfiltered past doesn't have to be what defines you. You can come from a broken home, friends. You can come from a broken home. That doesn't mean you have to be a hot mess. You can understand that Jesus is a friend that sits closer than a brother, that he will give you authentic relationship and he will affirm who you are. You can understand the great gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's lived among us. He understands us. He knows our weaknesses and he's that sympathetic high priest that loves you. And you can, you can go from this, this broken, this relational kind of beginning to this mature 
you know, relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you can come from poverty. That doesn't mean you have to live with a mindset of scarcity. You don't have to think, I'm only going to be happy if I acquire a bunch of material possessions. I'm never going to be poor like my parents or whatever. You know, you, you can instead, you can put it through the filter of the Bible. And, and you know, we're not supposed to trust in earthly riches. We're supposed to trust in heavenly riches where, where moth and rust does not destroy. When Vicki and I went to college, back in 1977, just to give you some perspective, okay? We didn't have hardly a nickel to our name. We're both in school, newly married. We would be considered way below the poverty line, which most college students are. And we, we went through this experience of having nothing and getting by and figuring out how to do life. And I remember one time, we're driving to her folks' house from our apartment, and she sees this big honking sofa, like we all see in Brookings, on the corner, right? And she says, that would work good in our living room. My immediate thought was lice, mouse nests inside it, rats in there, living inside this. It was huge. I mean, the couch was, I think it was almost eight feet long, because it was way longer than me. When I lay on it, there'd be like a foot both sides. We did not have any way to transport it. It was sitting on the curb. We owned a $55 Delta 88 Oldsmobile. Big honking boat. She could lay in the front seat. We used to joke about that. She would lay in the front seat to take a nap because it was huge. So we had this big car. I said, well, here's what we could do. We could throw that sofa upside down on the, on the trunk of our car. And I'll just run behind it, holding it on the car while you drive it home. It's only three miles away. Right? Brilliant. Amen? How many of you men would have thought that? That's brilliant, right? I'm 20 years old. I can run for miles. We might as well use the gifting I have. So I, I'm literally holding this couch on the back of the trunk of the car. And she's driving along. I'm running, you know, and I'm doing good. And pretty soon she keeps speeding up and speeding up. <laughs> and pretty soon she's going 30 miles an hour. Well, I'm going, hey, I'm like a block. I am not Superman. I can go like 10 to 12 miles an hour here. I can't go 30. Oh, you know, and we laughed about it. And she slowed down and I ran that couch all the way to our apartment building. I look back on those experiences in my life and there's two ways you can look back on them. One, you can get embittered. Nobody helped us. We were a victim. We should have had more financial aid, blah, blah, blah. Or you can look back and you could say, God, you're so good. You taught me to be joyous with little. And I had the love of a great woman, and I loved you so much. That's all I needed. And doing school was just fun. Amen? And I look back, that was some of the best times of my life. And it was with little. And I learned, like Paul, to be content with little or a lot. It doesn't matter. And, and so now, as I approach life, I'm going, I don't have a, have a bunch of stuff I do because I'm old. And you just accumulate the stuff. It just grows around you. You know, it, but, but again, stuff won't make you happy. What makes you happy is relationships with significant people and with your Lord. Amen? And I see my life through that filter now. And, and, and so if you come from a, a past where maybe you've been betrayed tremendously, that doesn't mean you can't now form trusting relationships. 
Now, I understand you've got to be wise in, in how you do some of this stuff, but it doesn't mean that God wants you to sideline and say, I'm never going to trust anybody again. He just wants you to learn from that you know, event in your life and say, okay, how do I move from that? How do I begin to trust God and trust people with my life? And he will be that priest that comes alongside you and empowers you to have this great experience. Um, and I think, you know, for, 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 for us who are especially getting older in our faith, God wants us to have this kind of filter when we look at our lives. So what we can encourage one another. We can see other people go through what we go through. We say, you know, don't, don't, don't blow through this time. I tell people with young children all the time, the days are long, but the years are short. Ch- cherish the moment you're in. I know you want to just get through this moment of child. I've had six kids. I know what it's like. Some days you say, Lord Jesus, just get me through the day, right? The days are long, but I'm telling you what, the years are short. Throw your life into those kids. That doesn't mean you do every activity they want to do because they'll do too many activities. But it means you train them in the ways of Jesus and you love them hard. And, and you encourage them like crazy because it, it goes by so fast. The days are long, but the years are short. Gregor Schull talks about how we tend to see with a cognitive bias. And the question becomes, what's going to form that cognitive bias in us? It, it, so people tend to see and understand their world through their cognitive bias. Now, I know that this is more like psychology, but it's, it's still true. We tend to see the world not as it is, but how our filters work in us. That's how we see the world. So if you're an embittered person from the past, if you're full of anger and all that, what are you going to see? That's what you're going to see. But I think if you're filtered with, with the glory of Jesus and you're looking at things you're going through with this perspective that he is forming me into his image and likeness, you begin to see the things that you go through entirely differently. The thing about cognitive bias is this. You don't know if you have it. You don't see it because it's your bias. So if you want to know what your bias is, ask your wife. Ask your husband. They'll readily tell you because they see it. Ask a good friend. They see it in you. They see your tendencies and where you go real fast. I remember years ago, since I'm talking on some of my college days, when we had one, one reliable vehicle, Vicky and I, in, in those years of college. It's called a motorcycle. And... Uh, the reason it was reliable is when we got married, she had a really good job at FMC, and she gave me a 650 Yamaha as a wedding present. I called it my yammer hammer because you ride it, and you about, by the time you get off, you just got, you know what I mean? Those old, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but they'd beat you to death. So we'd take trips on this motorcycle all the time, put 20,000 miles on it in three years because it was our main vehicle. So one time we're taking this baby up north um, to go to some land to camp out. And I throw on my helmet, she throws on her gear, and we get on the bike. And I'm driving along, and I'm thinking, man, it's really green up north. I mean, we have a picture. It was like that. Super green. And I'm driving along pretty soon. I'm going, it is so green up here. Wow, they must have got so much rain. Everything's brilliantly green. And I mean, this went on for like an hour and a half. Pretty soon I'm looking with wonderment. Like, God, is this a special vision you're giving me here or what? It is so green. So then we get to a rest stop about an hour and a half into the trip. I take off my helmet and I forgot I had a green lens in the front of my helmet. So everything was really green. And it did. It looked like that. It was beautifully green. And I saw everything. And I'm pretty soon I'm thinking, oh, this is the way it is. And then I took out the helmet and I said, oh, it's not that green. <laughs> There's a point to that story. Life is often viewed through the filters that you choose. 
And I'm telling you today, and this is our big thought, you can't necessarily control what happens to you, but you can control how you receive it and how you respond to it. Okay? You can't necessarily control what comes your way. Hard things come our way frequently. We have no control over. But we can control the filter. Will we see it through the perspective of the Bible and what God's up to? Will we respond to it and receive it that way? It'll make your life entirely different than if you just think you're carried along by uh, events beyond your control. One of my favorite epistles in the Bible is Philippians. It's such a good, transformative, languaged epistle. And listen to Paul's perspective as he looks back over his life. He's in prison now. Yet he's choosing to see it from, uh, I call the God angle. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Then I'll read some from 18 and on there too. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has actually served to advance the gospel. See what he's doing here? He's reframing his experience, how? In biblical outcome and terminology. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's rejoicing in his imprisonment here. And then he, he talks in, the, in, in, this, in, this, uh, in this chapter a little bit about some are preaching to get me in more trouble. They're preaching the name of Jesus. Others are doing it out of envy of me. And then he says this in verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or pure, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He's in prison. He, he, he's rejoicing because of the outcome is that the pro- proclamation of the gospel is going on more powerfully than ever. And he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says a verse that you should memorize. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I can't tell you how frequently as a person following Christ, I've said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do you have that perspective? For me to live is Christ, man, to die is gain. And then he goes on and he says, it's good that I I stay alive for your well-being, but I'd rather be with Jesus. I just want to go home and be with my Lord, but it's good for you that I stay here. I'm torn between the two. And he's got this grand biblical perspective on life that changes how he views life, and he sees through the visor of that filter. And life looks entirely different to him than someone else who might be saying, it's not fair that I'm in prison. I've been mistreated here and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You know, so, so my question is this. Are you putting your life through that biblical kind of analysis? Are you seeing what God is up to in your life? Have you put on that visor, so to speak, and begin to purposely look at your, your, your experiences in life through that kind of a filter? It will change how you deal in the present and how you view the future. It will give. So now when I see stuff coming like the Hamas fighting with Israel, I'm going, well, you know, we're told in scriptures, this war is going to go on to the end. Now, I'm not being dismissive of it, but I'm not surprised by it. How about you? Esau? All right, we won't get into that. I, I'm, stop, Steve, stop. Okay, anyway, you follow you follow what I'm saying there. I look at these things. I don't get all shook up. I pray for Israel. I pray for the people of Palestine. I pray for them like you ought to. But it doesn't determine my demeanor or outlook or I don't get cynical. Amen? 
Because this is what's predicted. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're told. It's, it's going to be the state of, 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 of unredeemed mankind until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So it shouldn't surprise us. At um, any rate, Paul gets to the end of Philippians, and I love how he reflects on everything the Philippians have done to him. He's so grateful for their generosity, and he's grateful for their uh, you know, commitment to Christ. And he says this, and this is his conclusion, and this is our conclusion to the message today. He says, I can do everything through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. I love that. I love that thought. Paul, when he gets all said and done, he said, listen, I can do everything through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. I can just do it all. I know that. I know that. And that's how he kind of ends that epistle. It's so powerful when you think about everything that he's going through to end with that kind of a language. Uh, all right, so we're done for the day. We'll get to some more next week and the week after that. But let's end with a word of prayer right now. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for uh, this short message on reframing our past in such a way that we see it through the filter of Scripture. Would you just help us to go through some of our life recallings, Lord, some of our past experiences, and then begin to ask, God, what were you up to there? What were you doing? And how has that directed me to the place I'm at now in my faith? And, 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 and maybe rejoice over some things we formerly were kind of, uh, well, conflicted over, I guess I'll say in a nice way, Lord, that we just didn't understand. May we have this biblical understanding of life, Lord, that permeates how we look at the past, then how we'll do at the present, and how we look forward to the future. I pray this in your name, Jesus, and by your power. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand, please? We're going to prepare ourselves for uh, the closing song by reading some scripture out loud uh, uh, together. It's Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Would you read this out loud with me, please? Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight.